in the room today. Yeah. He is a saint. He is a saint. God blessing. Um, tomorrow is our 15th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, do any of y'all remember, some of y'all remember the red pear story? I don't know if any of you guys remember it. I'll tell it some other time. Do y'all remember it? Yes. Well, it's, it's 15 years ago today that the red pear story happened. So it's a, it's a sweet time for us to celebrate. Um, okay, I want to make sure you're out on time and we're covering a lot of ground today. So I'm just going to jump in and pray for us and then we're going to get right into today's lesson. Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, you've pursued us when we have not wanted to be pursued. You have run after us. Many of us are here today, hesitantly, possibly reluctantly. But regardless, every one of us in this room, we're here today because of your pursuit, whether we recognize it or not. So I'm asking today that your Holy Spirit would Remove any veils from our eyes, unclog our ears, open up our hearts so that we could receive your word today and that it will not return void. And you promise us that. So we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so I want to catch us up because I know every week we have new, new folks here and we love that. So you come whenever you can make it and bring a friend. We always set for more than RSVP, so we will always make room for your friend or for yourself if you didn't RCP just come. But we're in a seven-week series called Yes. And Yes is the name of the ministry. And like Sylvie said, it comes from uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of God's promises find their yes in Christ. And in turn, we say yes to the glory of God. So we're spending seven weeks looking at what are the yeses. What has God promised us? Because oftentimes where I get tripped up is I think he's promised me a certain outcome a certain um, prospering situation, and I'll get fixated like right now, both of my kids are about to run for student council. So what are my prayers? Lord, let them win. Let them get it. Let them get it. And I don't know that God has said, y'all, we have seats down here too if you need them. These tables, are, you got to walk in front, do a pageant wave. Just come on. Yeah. Um, but, but God's yes has not necessarily been that Ben and Beth are going to make student council in the third and fourth grade. Right? But God has promised me that his plans for them are good plans. And they're not to harm Ben and Beth. They're plans to give them a hope and a future. So maybe those good plans don't involve student council in the third and fourth grade. So when I start praying, I'm giving you this as an example, but as I start praying for the certain thing, and I get anxious about the certain thing, and that's all I tend to focus on is that thing. Lord, make this better, fix this, change this. If I don't drill down and go, what is it that you've really said yes to, God? Then I'll leave frustrated in my prayer time. Because the focus of the prayer time is still just me. And I've not moved past to what is God actually saying to me. And so that's what we're really looking at today. And then once we discover what his yeses are, then the challenge comes back to us. Am I going to believe that? Am I going to actually say yes back to him? Because a lot of us, what um, I've heard termed before is we're just fat babies in a lot of the sense that we've been in church a lot of our lives. This isn't our first rodeo with this Bible study. For some of us it is, and we're so glad. But for others of us, we've been in a lot of them, and we've heard a lot, a lot of truth. But for whatever reason, we've stayed kind of stuck. 
And we've not taken that step of faith to say, you know what, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to stop believing the lie. I'm going to believe the truth. Or I'm going to stop staying still. I'm going to take a step forward. I'm going to let go, take a step back, stop grabbing the reins. So there's always a response on our part. So last week we looked at Genesis 2 and 3 and we looked very closely at God's original yes. His original intentions toward us were good. He's a good father. And when he created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, nothing was laborious about it. And I told you that word um, when he said tend the garden to Adam. It's a Hebrew word avad and it means to serve it, to nurture it, to tend to it. But then after Eve bit onto the lie and ate the fruit, sin enters into the picture and the result is disconnect and labor, labor through childbirth, labor in relationships, and then labor in the ground in our work. And so really that kind of sums everything up, doesn't it? Yeah. And so if you're wondering why your marriage is hard, if you're wondering why sometimes you feel like the worst parent and these relationships in your life are difficult, welcome to the world that's fallen because of sin. But God, his original yes was always heaven. His original yes was he hardwired us for community with him, for peace and for harmony. And that day's coming back again in Revelation. It says Jesus sits, sits on the throne and he says, behold, I'm making all things new. So today we're going to drill down a little farther and look at more specific yeses. And the first one I wanted to look at this uh, third week was the question, God, do you love me? And, and that, that answer is yes. But what I want to do is I want to dive into a passage of scripture found in Luke 15. And I want us to look at what, what his yes really looks like. And what his love really looks like. So if you'll follow along with me, we'll jump right in. Now Jesus is teaching at the beginning of Luke 15. We're going to jump in in verse 11. But in the beginning of Luke 15, he starts with three parables. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of lost coin. Or maybe it's lost coin, lost sheep. And then the third parable is the, the parable of the lost son. But here's the reality of it all. When Jesus taught in parables, he did it for two reasons. One is he always spoke in our language to us. So he'd always say the kingdom of God is like this. And if he was speaking to farmers, he'd say, it's like this when you're sowing seed, it's like that. Or to, to shepherds, he'd say, it's like this. There was a shepherd that lost a sheep because instantly they're going to get it. They're going to immediately start tracking with him. And so he did that to cut through some of the difficulty. So he's speaking in their language. But the second reason he always taught in parables is it revealed one of two things. It revealed their hunger or it revealed their lack of hunger. And so oftentimes it would draw men and women in that were really hungry and they would just start to really learn or those that really didn't want to, they'd be like, "Ugh, this is too difficult. I'm moving on. How many of us, there's been many seasons in my life where I'm just like, it just feels too hard. It just feels too hard. My hunger's been little. And then the Lord has brought that hunger back up and pressed me back in to him. And so he's speaking in a parable, and we're going to jump in with the third one. It's the parable of the lost son. And really, um, if you know Tim Keller, this is a book called The Prodigal God. There's two copies in the bookstore. This is one of them. And so if you want it at the end of this, you can come grab it and then go buy it. And um, if not, go to Amazon somewhere, but buy this book because it's really good. Because really, I think a more appropriate title is the prodigal God, the God that runs, the God that runs after us. So let's jump in at verse 11. And it says, he said, and this is Jesus, and he's speaking to the crowd. The crowd is involved with, the crowd consists of religious leaders, 
stuffy men and women that thought they had it all together. Those were the religious leaders of that day. And then it was filled with men and women that were just common everyday people that were in need of Jesus. So he's got really two crowds before him and he's teaching both of them. And he said, there's a man who had two sons, an older and a younger. And let me do a little backdrop description of these boys. Are any of you first born in the room? Are you first born? Okay, so are you bossy? Yes, you are. You are, you are. Just saying hypothetically speaking, or just, I'm, tr I'm going to make a big sweeping generalization. But studies show that birth order really is, is really interesting if you study birth order. But typically the oldest child is the most responsible, the one that feels like they have to have their ducks in a row. They carry a lot of weight on their shoulders. And then if, are any of you the baby in the room? I am. Lift it high, lift it high. I have, yes. And the baby is the one that, and I heard John Ortberg said, <laughs> described it this way. The baby is the one that always wants to be the bride at the wedding or the one in the coffin at the funeral. Because they're the ones that are being celebrated, right? They're always the life of the party. They're a lot of fun, but they may not have their ducks in a row. That is completely, that's completely completely me. I have a son, Ben, who's the oldest, and a daughter, Beth, and boy, that describes them to a T. Beth brings the fun, and Ben's going to pastor all of us. So anyway, so we've got two boys in the picture. Verse 12, it says, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had taken, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, let me give you a little more backdrop. The dad is well-resourced, and with the two boys, they have a big, fat inheritance coming. But what was typical is the older son would always receive three-fourths of the inheritance, or two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger sibling would always receive one-third. And that's just the way the, the culture was in that day. But when the son asked him, I want to receive my inheritance now, that wasn't just a request. That wasn't just a simple request. That was an absolute offensive, offensive request to make to this dad. So Jesus knows this when he's telling his audience. He knows that they're going to be appalled by this. And he's intending that to happen because he's driving home a point. And he wants them to understand. And Jesus is always trying to point men and women to himself. And so he's driving home a point. So the younger son has the audacity to ask the dad, I want my inheritance now. Now, typically, if that, even if he had asked that question, he would have just been cut off from the family line immediately. He wouldn't have received his inheritance, but the entire town would have cut him off because that was a complete affront to the father. And so he asked for his inheritance, and his dad gives it to him. And so his dad, it takes a few days, he literally has to sell a third of his property, a third of his cattle, a third of everything to liquidate his assets to give the son his inheritance. And then his son takes his inheritance and he goes to a distant land and he squanders it. And he squanders it. He wanders far from home. And so upon initial read of this, you and I might think that just sounds ludicrous or it sounds... Um, I can't relate to it, perhaps, but I want you to think for just a minute, put yourself in this boy's shoes and imagine what his life might be like. He's working his dad's land and he's a teenage kid, probably maybe a little bit older. And somewhere along the road, he probably began to think, I wonder what life would be like over there. I wonder what life would look like if it looked like this. And as he begins to daydream, 
And as he begins to go to those places in his mind, what happens, and we know this, we've been there, what happens is that this current situation gets less and less appealing, does it not? I wonder how he would treat me. I wonder what that house would be like to live in. I wonder what this neighborhood would be like. I wonder what that career would look like. I wonder what that set of parents would be like. Because this is not fitting the bill. And typically, when that happens, for a lot of us, it's really because we're bored. Or, or we've got too much time. Right? Something is causing us to be malcontent. And we begin to daydream. But as we begin to entertain these thoughts, this side of the grass looks browner and browner and browner, does it not? And that side over there gets fresher and more green and beautiful and luscious. And that's what's happened with this boy. And finally the day arrives where he says, I got to get out of here. I got to sow my own oats. I can do this. I don't need your direction anymore, Dad. I got this. I want, but, but of course he can't earn his own way. So I need everything you're going to give me, but I'm going to use you to get it. So he's using the father embarrassing, humiliating the father, and he takes it all and he squanders it. And he leaves. Because for whatever reason, dad's way of living, dad's house, dad's uh, stuff wasn't enough. And we talked about this last week, that Oswald Chambers says the root of all sin is the belief that God isn't good. So I want us to think about that for just a minute in our own lives, because some of us have lived in the same home our entire life. I've lived at 415 Glenlea for 13 years now. But there have been times, and I've gone to the same church, well, we've changed churches, but I've been in Bible study all of those years. I've led Bible studies all of those years. But there have been seasons when I have been in a distant country. I have left my father's home, and I've been in a distant country. And I want you to just put yourself in the story and ask yourself the question, where are you in relationship to the father? Where are you in relationship to the father? Are you close? Are you distant? Now the elder boy, we're going to get to him in a minute. Now here's the thing. You have two sons. The younger one physically leaves and becomes lost. The older one stays and is just as lost. Just as lost. He's the one that's really good at being good. I, I could have gotten a degree in that for seasons in my life as well. Really, really good. But what's interesting, the telltale of what's really going on in your heart is how cranky you are. This older son was really bitter. He was really, really bitter. He was cranky. He felt like nobody sees me. I'm the one that always shows up. I'm the one that gets up at daybreak, and I'm the one feeding the cows. Nobody else cares. This younger brat gets to do whatever he wants and gets away with it. But I'm the one that's always staying. I'm speaking somebody's language today. But I'll keep going. God forbid I not show up. No, there I am. I'll be there. And it's like, you are so much fun to be around. <laughs> Just a joy. Y'all, go to 99% of our churches in this Western culture. And you'll go, okay, huh. You're not a great poster for... Christianity, because you just seem cranky. You know, you have those people in church where, God forbid, if you sit in their seat, if you sit in their pew, and it's like they're, in the, they're warm in that pew, they're warm in that pew, but what is the condition of our heart? Boy, I have been both the younger and the older brother. And so the younger brother we're going to focus on for a little bit. We'll get back to the older brother. So the younger brother has, has left. He is, he's left his dad's family. And so 
his leaving is not like our kids leaving. Because some of us have had teenage and college age and, and young adult children that are wayward. And they've left. But you can kind of disguise that and say, well, they're on a study abroad. Or they're whatever. They're just taking a gap year. And maybe they are. But for a lot of folks, you know that oftentimes you can say, you can kind of finesse your language and not really reveal or expose, remember that from last week, expose what's really going on. But not in this culture, because every hand had to be on deck, and so every hand was needed. So when that boy left, he took a third of his dad's belongings and, and assets, but he also left them with a hole about the size of a third. Probably a little less. I bet he wasn't too helpful. That older boy's like, I'm just going to do it myself, because it's harder to just let you do it. So it's humiliating, absolutely humiliating. And believe me, it's the talk of the town. It is absolutely the talk of the town. So this dad has been humiliated and disgraced by his son. So as Jesus is sharing this parable, the listeners know that. They know that. And they're horrified that it could have happened to them. They're horrified by the situation. And Jesus knows it as he's talking. So pick up with me in verse 14. It says, And when he, meaning the younger son, it's been everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Another word could be hurt. Another translation says he began to hurt. Right? My hunger comes back when I feel a little bit of pain. A little bit of pain. Verse 15 says, So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now the Jewish men and women didn't, that, that was not okay. So he's disgracing his family just a little bit more and now he's in the pig slot. Verse 16 it says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and nobody gave, them, gave him anything. What is he thinking at that point? I wonder if he's hit rock bottom at that point. When you look up and you're like, I'm sitting in pig slop, pig dung, and they're feasting on pods. Now pods, the way these pods were, they were sour, bitter, they were not good. And yet that boy's like, that's better than what I have. Better than what I have. I've read this quote a hundred times and I hope we never forget it, but it says, sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. That's where this boy sits. He's sitting in the pig slop, and he's like, what? How did I get here? How did I get here? I don't know if any of us can relate to that, if you've had seasons in your past, or even if you're in a current season. And it can be anything. Pig slop looks different for all of us. It could be your own bed. It could be your career, and you're like, how did I let my integrity slide off like that? How did I get to this place? If you've experienced that, then you can relate to this boy. In verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, this young boy, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. Now here's the thing. We think when we look at this that he's, he's, he's brought back to repentance. Repentance means when you turn around and you agree with the father. But really what scripture says, don't let this pass us by. It says, but when he came to himself, 
when he came to himself. What we're seeing right here is it's a desperate kid. A desperate kid that's calling for help. And he says, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to, here's my speech. It's going to be really good. I'm going to prepare it. I'm going to have a long walk home. And in this walk of shame, I'm going re, to rehearse this speech. And when I get to my dad, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, okay, dad, um, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Do you see shame all over that? We talked about shame last week, self-hatred at my expense. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. That's his big plan. I'm going to go home and hopefully I can just get back. Now here's probably why he is saying that. Is because in this Jewish community back in this day, in this culture, they practiced something that was a ceremony called the Kezazah. And the Kezazah happened when someone in the family broke trust and left. And so when they left and they stepped outside the city gates, when they stepped outside the city gates and they then began to associate with other cultures and they began to, to do trade with other cultures and they began to intermarry with other cultures, all sorts of things, it was disgraceful to the community. It was disgraceful to his heritage, to his immediate family, but his larger community. And so what happened, the result is when you sinned against your family, you were cut off. And that cutting off is called the kezazah. And what would happen is when somebody would try and come back into the city gates, they would be met with the entire community. The entire community could see them and would meet them, him or her, at the city gate with a big clay pot. And when they would arrive at the city gate, the men and women of the community would look at them and they would crack this pot in front of them. They would crack it in front of them and they would pick up a broken piece and they would shove it in their face and say, you're broken. You're broken. You've broken trust. You've disgraced us. You've broken everything. You yourself are broken, but you've broken communication with your family. You're broken. That's how they'd be met, with the kezazah. And here's the thing. Jesus knows this when he's telling his followers that. And they know it. And they're waiting for Jesus to begin to tell them about what the kezazah is going to look like. Because that's the way it always worked. And so this boy has arisen and he's walking back home expecting to be met with a kezazah. And look at what happens in verse 20. Remind yourself of the question, does God love me? And the boy said, and it says, he arose and he came to his father. Circle that. He arose and he came to his father. Did he have a shower? No. Was he covered in pig slop? Yes. But he started walking home. He arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What did he feel? What did the father feel? Compassion. Compassion. What would you feel as a parent? Put yourself in the shoes of the father right now in your human state. How would you feel? Be honest. Angry, betrayed, sad, disappointed, hurt, hurt. Even
even if love is under there, you're overwhelmed with a mix of emotions. This dad felt one, and it was compassion. It was compassion. And it says he felt compassion, and he ran. Now, here's the thing. When Jason sees Ben or Beth, and he runs to them to swoop them up and pick them up, that's nothing that we would feel alarmed by. It would be cute and sweet, and we think that's a great dad. He is a great dad. But in this culture, Jesus is incredibly intentional when he tells them this dad ran. Why? Because that was utter and total humiliation. No man in that day and age would ever run because that shows some sort of urgency and desperation, which then implies that you don't have control. You're out of control. And in order to run, because these men, they wore long, elaborate robes that covered their feet. You would never show your feet, much less your legs. So he could not have run without lifting up his garments. So this dad is lifting up his garments and he's running after his boy who's covered in pig slop, who's wasted a third of his assets, who's betrayed him, who's basically said, you're not enough, I'm going to be on my own and I'm going to use you to get there. He's betrayed him, he's humiliated him, he's embarrassed him, and he's picked up his robe and he starts running. Now, why would Jesus go to this length? This is as extreme as you could get in this culture. Because he is foretelling, he's being prophetic, and he is saying, you're going to see another father humiliated on your behalf. You're going to see your father running toward you, and he's going to be me. And I'm going to be exposed because he's on a cross and he's naked and he's humiliated and he's totally exposed. And so he's teaching them by telling us this story that the Father's love has no end. There's no link that's too far. He will do anything to restore his boy and he'll do anything to get to the city gate before this world looks you in the eye and says you're broken. You're broken and you cannot be restored. He is racing to get to his son before anyone else does. This son's been tainted. This son has been splattered on. This son has tasted and experienced the world, and so have we. But there's not enough pig done on me that is too much for the father to say, you come here. You come to me. And here's another thing that we need to know, is typically when a boy would leave home, when the younger sibling would leave, it was the elder son's job to go get him. We have bitter Betty that's the elder son, and he won't even leave to go get his brother, so the father does it instead. Jesus is our elder brother that comes and runs for us. He is sent by the father. He is humiliated and he is exposed. Why? So that we get to be reconnected to dad. We get to come home. It costs him everything. What does it cost us? Just get up and start walking back home. Get up and start walking back home. So he arises and he, he starts to walk back home. His dad sees him. He's a long way off. He feels compassion and he runs and he embraces him and he kisses him. Do you think that he said, oh my God, let's wipe this up. Go take a shower and then we're going to come into the foyer I don't think we could even go into the living room yet until we lay some plastic 
sheets on it. We'll meet you in the foyer, son, and we'll talk about what's happened. No, 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 no. He's like, I'm all, any of you, if you've ever birthed a baby from your body, you know what? It's like, I don't, I, this was my feeling. I don't care if that, all that junk's all over them. Just give them, I want to inhale them immediately. And that's nothing. I don't, I'm a, I don't even understand God's love, but I can taste it a little bit. And so he kisses him and he embraces him. And the son said to the father, he starts his speech. He says, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice he doesn't finish the rest of the story. Why? Because he's been caught off guard by the love of the father. He's been overtaken by the love of the father. And this is what I love about the son. This is what true repentance is. It's just like, I've sinned against you. I've offended you. I've hurt you. You know when you've ever been in a relationship and somebody's wronged the other and they come up and they say, well, I'm sorry, but it's like just, just, just mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. right? We can't experience that. We've never experienced that in our marriage, but I'm going to pray for those that have. What is it we want to hear? We just want to hear, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not, I'm so sorry, but you misunderstood me. I'm just so sorry. And that's where this boy is. And that's when, I love this, I read this, this um, in a commentary, and it says, New Testament repentance is quite a different picture than Old Testament. To clearly paint the picture that it's God who does the finding and restoring, because all of these parables, Jesus is trying to help us understand that he's the great pursuer. He pursues us. He brings us back to him. And it says, um, God does the finding and restoring of prodigals. Jesus told a related parable of the lost sheep. Dr. Ken Bailey is the guy. It says, indicates that when a sheep realizes it's lost, so when a sheep is lost, y'all, all it can do is bleat, which means to cry out. That's on the recording. It says, in the time of Jesus, it often took two or three days for a shepherd to find and restore a sheep. Even when a shepherd has found it and calls to it, it won't move because it's too terrified. How many of us have been too terrified in our own lives to even make a move? And so the shepherd must pick it up and carry it back home. And a sheep in those times typically weighed between 40 and 75 pounds. So what's the response of the shepherd in the lost sheep parable to this difficult task? Joy. 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 And so many of us are just like these lost sheep and we're like, <coughs> internally, right? We're crying out. We're scared. We're terrified. And we don't know how to move. And somehow God brings you to Bible study. Somehow God brings you to a place where you can hear him and you recognize, he's been pursuing me all along. How are you going to respond to him today? Verse 22, he then says to his servants, the father says, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. Best robe was his dad's robe. A ring was the credit card. That was a, a stamp that you had. You were restored. Literally, you got the family credit card because that's how you bought things. And shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So we see what happens with the younger son. He's lost. He's found by the father. He hears the answer to the question, do you love me? He hears his dad saying, yes, yes. And the son in response says, yes, 
I'm coming back in. I don't deserve this robe, but I'm putting it on. I don't deserve this ring, but I'm going to slip it on. Because he loves me. And he says yes, and he receives it. Now watch what the older son does. Verse 25, it says, The older son was in the field, and he came, and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. Watch this boy's response. He was angry, and he refused to go in. Have you ever been angry when you see others prosper that don't deserve it? And you think, why is that happening? Why? I, I just have friends that have felt that way. That's what this boy is saying. He was angry. He was angry. But he answered his father. This is what he says to his dad. Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He had a hundred goats. He had a whole, whatever you call a flock of goats. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf for him? Have you ever said, God, this makes no sense. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and now he's found. Here's the thing. The brother never physically left home, but he had not, he'd been so far from the dad, so far from the dad, he did not know what he had. How many of us can relate to this boy? I've been so far away from you, God, and yet I could probably spout off a hundred scriptures. But how do I know that I'm far from God is my affection has waned for him. My affection has waned and my heart feels cold. And I go through the motions. There are a lot of days in this journey of faith where I don't have warm fuzzies. But I love him. But I love him. But I know that I'm in trouble when I can see what's coming up out of my heart. And I'm irritable. I'm critical. I'm comparing all the time. And I always tend to come up short. She always tends to win. This is what's happening. This boy, this younger boy, he didn't deserve to win, but he's winning. And here I am out in the field chopping away or feeding these stupid sheep or doing whatever with the cows. And the dad says to him, you've always had me. You've always had me. You, everything I have is yours. You just didn't know it. Or you lost sight of it. You lost sight of it. And the result of losing sight, lady, is we get a cold heart. It's a cold heart. So my question today as we close is where are you in relationship to the Father today? Are you in a distant country and you've never left home? Or some of us in this room, we left home a long time ago. And our journey here to Sumner's Hall today is part of our journey back home. For those of us, maybe you've been coming to this church your whole life, or a church your whole life, and you have, your heart's grown cold. It's grown cold. It happens. Regardless of where you find yourself, come home. Come home. You can come home. Here's another thing. Maybe you find yourself in a season where you're right up close to him. You're engaged in a sweet relationship with the Lord, and here's my challenge to you. Be the father to someone that needs it. 
turn around to your friends and to your neighbors and say, come home, come home, come with me to Bible study, and then let's go talk about it afterwards. I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you, I know that there's a God that loves you, and his yes to you is that he loves you. And I've said yes back to him. I've shared with some of you in the room that my husband and I, my husband's little sister, Sarah, is somebody that's been a prodigal in our lives for a long time. And she's, had a, she's battled drug addiction for a long time. And, and it's been incredibly costly to our family, to our family, but to Jason's mom. And we've grieved over her. We've been angry with her. We've been weary, strung out, tired. And yet we have prayed for her consistently. And this past July, we went to Georgia where she lives and she had gotten arrested. She was in jail. She was there for a week. And the only court order for her, other than staying in jail, was that she could go to this one treatment facility. So we went up there. And, and mind you, I had been watching my husband grow weary and more weary or wearier by the day. And as he grows weary and as I see him struggling... He didn't know I was talking about this today. But as he struggles, and, but I have permission, this is okay. Um, when I see him struggle, I, I'm like, I mean, you think I'm mama bear for my kids. But when he's hurting, I'll take you out. I, I'll take you out. So I'm growing more and more angry toward Sarah. And so we're driving to this little um, rehab treatment facility in the country, Backwoods, Georgia. And Jason said, and Ben and Beth are with us, and he said, um, I'm going to go in and see her. We haven't seen her in a long, long time. And I said, I'm going to sit in the car because I just don't know how I may respond. And Ben and Beth are with me. And so I wait there, and Jason's in there for about two hours. And while he's in there, I keep recognizing that my heart is one of the elder brother. And I'm troubled by that because I'm like, Lord, you've been incredibly merciful to me in my life. Um, help me here. Help me. So I'm sitting in the car. Jason comes out and we're about to leave. And he says, why don't you go in? Just go in and see her for just a minute. And I said, okay, I will. And I, I didn't want to. And I was nervous because I didn't know how I would respond. And I didn't know how she would respond. But I did. And I just was trusting the Lord. And I walked in. And this was the craziest thing, y'all. This was so not, this was not of me. I walk in and I see her sitting there and she's just like a shell of a human. If you've ever, if you've known ever, anyone that's been addicted to drugs, especially methamphetamines, takes you out. And she's sitting there and I'm like, and I'm telling you all, I walked in and I'm telling you Jesus took over my body. And I walked over and she was like sitting there like, Defensive, not knowing how I'm going to respond. So she's already guarded. And I walk in, and I'm telling you, I walked straight up to her, and I pulled her up out of her seat, and I held her as hard as I could, and I never said a word. And she, all of a sudden, you could feel her little body just do this, go limp, and she started weeping. And I started weeping. And I just said, oh, Sarah. And y'all, she's, she's been in jail. She hadn't had a shower in a week. And I just start rubbing her and kissing her forehead. And then I left. Two minutes. And then I left. But I'm telling you, I was more grateful for that for my calloused heart than anything. She needed to know that the Father's yes to her is, yes, I still love you. I still love you. You can still come home. And I needed to know that the Father said, I'm in your heart, baby. <laughs> I'm in your heart. 
I'm going to give you what you need. If you'll just trust me with Sarah, you trust me to make the wrongs right, you trust me to handle her, you trust me to take care of how this has affected you, you just trust me. Justice is mine, saith the Lord. So in that moment, God was just asking, would you just be Jesus' hands and feet for a minute, Laura? Would you just be me in the flesh? Would you just walk up to her? and Would you just embrace her and hold her? I'll take care of everything else. Since that time, Sarah has left treatment. She's not well. We need your prayers for her. But I'm telling you, I go back to this story, and I think, Lord, how do I even approach you when I pray for Sarah? So if you are in a, in a relationship with the Lord today and you experience his mercy and you've tasted his goodness and you know the answer to does God love me, you know in your gut that it's yes, then your yes today is turn around and be that yes to someone else. Say, God, use me today. Just use me today. Just when I'm at HEB or wherever you shop or wherever you are in the carpool, wherever I'm, Lord, would you just keep my antennas up? So that when I see someone walking across that's irritated looking and I just want to avoid her, would you, would you just use me? When my husband comes home tonight and he's had a stressful day, would you use me? Would you shut my mouth when I want to say something I should? Would you just use me today? For those of us in the room and you're that younger brother or you're the older brother, but maybe you're the younger brother and you're coming home for the very first time. Let me tell you how you come home. You actually, you just pray a simple prayer like the son did. He says, Father, I've sinned against you and I'm not worthy. And I wrote a prayer on your listing guide and you can take it with you, but I'm going to pray it with us today. But I want you just in your own heart, I'm, never, I'm not going to ask you to do anything or stand up. or anything. I just want you to know what it looks like for you to come home today. And it's simple. God always makes it simple. It's a prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, I confess to you with my sin, my sin and brokenness, and I ask your forgiveness as the free gift through Jesus Christ. And I invite you to make your home in my heart from this day forward. That's it. That's what it means to give your life to Christ. It's simple. For those elder brothers in the room, I sit in good company today. I'm with you. I understand it. Come back home. Come back home. And you may be lost because you've always been the elder brother. Pray this prayer. Regardless, if you're distant, come home today. Because God's answer to you is yes. So will your answer back to him be yes as well? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And I, I, I just confess, Lord, I don't even have a fat clue what that love really means. It's so overwhelming and all-encompassing. Uh, so God, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit today, would you open our eyes, unclog our ears, remove the veil, soften our heart, and get us to a place where we can receive you again and say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to trust you again and come home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies. We'll be back next week. If anyone wants to buy Prodigal God, you won't be sorry.
Jean. I've been sober 25 years and... Oh, she... Can I... She, yeah, this is my husband, Jason. And I you just met right before. Yes, and she said she was Sarah. Praise God. Uh. So, that meant a lot to me. Because I was not I'm that telling you, that means. Oh, it means a lot to us to Jesus hear that. Did. Yes. It gives great hope today. Thank you. That's so great. I think I'm still talking to her. Hi, Chris.